commentaries on the four last books of Moses, arranged in the form of a harmony. Volume 4, by John Calvin. Commentary on Numbers chapter 16, verses 35 to 40. And there came out a fire from the Lord, and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that offered incense. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, therefore they are hallowed. And they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers, wherewith they that were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. 35. And there came out a fire from the Lord. The diversity of the punishments had the effect of awakening more astonishment in the people than as if all had been destroyed in the same manner, although God's anger raged more fiercely against the original authors of the evil, so as to make it manifest that each received a recompense according to the measure of his iniquity. He says that a fire went forth from Jehovah, because it was not kindled naturally nor accidentally, but was accompanied by conspicuous marks which showed that it was sent by him. Yet I do not reject the opinions of others, that is, that God thundered from heaven, since thus his power would have been more manifestly exerted. 37. Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron. Since there is no manifestation of God's wrath so conspicuous as not to be forgotten too often by man's stupidity, God was willing to anticipate this evil and set up a monument for posterity, lest the recollection of this memorable judgment should ever be obscured. He commands, therefore, that a covering for the altar should be made of the censers, in order that none should rashly intrude himself to make the sacred offerings. When he calls them hallowed, some understand that it was sinful to transfer them to profane purposes, because they had once been devoted to the service of God. I am, however, rather of the opinion that they were set apart, sacratas, as things accursed, anathemata. Thus the fire which had been upon them is scattered afar, in order that the altar should be cleansed from its pollution. Although, however, there was the same pollution in the censers, yet God would have them preserved as accursed, so that all posterity might understand that none but the priests were to be admitted to the sacrifices. Nor is it superfluous for him to speak of the rebels as having acted criminally against their own souls, but it was in order that the memory of their punishment might be in a manner engraved upon those brazen enclosures in order to awaken continued dread. 40. 
to be a memorial unto the children of Israel. This passage again confirms what I have just said, that God's judgments, which ought to remain in full remembrance in every age, straightway escape and are blotted out from men's minds, unless they are provided with certain aids to meditate upon them. This, however, does not happen so much from ignorance as neglect. Wherefore, we ought to be the more attentive to the aids to memory, which may retain us in the path of duty. Verses 41 to 50. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation. And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were fourteen thousand and seven hundred, besides them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. Verse 41. But on the morrow all the congregation. There is something more than monstrous in this madness of theirs. The conflagration was yet smoking, wherein God had appeared as the awful avenger of pride. The chasm in which the leaders of the rebellion had been swallowed up must still have been almost before their eyes. God had commanded the plates to be molten, which might record that severe judgment through many succeeding ages. All had confessed by their alarm and hasty flight that there was danger lest they should themselves also be exposed to similar punishments. Yet on the next day, as if they desired deliberately to provoke God, who was still, as it were, armed, they accused God's holy servants of having been the authors of the destruction, though they had never lifted a finger against their enemies. Was it in the power of Moses to command the earth to open? Could he draw down the fire from heaven at his will? Since then, both the chasm and the fire were manifest tokens of God's wonderful power. Why do not these madmen reflect that they are engaging in fatal warfare against him? For to what purpose was this extraordinary mode of punishment, except that in their terror they might learn to humble themselves beneath God's hand? Yet hence did they only derive greater wildness in their audacity, 
as if they desired to perish voluntarily with these sinners, whose punishment they had just been shuddering at. In two ways they betray their senselessness. First, by substituting Moses and Aaron as guilty of the murder in place of God, and secondly, by sanctifying these putrid corpses as if in despite of God. They accuse Moses and Aaron of the slaughter, of which God had plainly shown himself to be the author, as they themselves had been compelled to feel. But such is the blindness of the reprobate with respect to God's works, that his glory rather stupefies them than excites their admiration. The foulest ingratitude was also added, for they do not consider that only a very few hours had elapsed since they had been preserved by the intercession of Moses from impending destruction. Thus, in their desire to avenge the death of a few, they call those the killers of the people of the Lord, to whom they ought to have been grateful for the safety of all. Again, what arrogance it is to count among the people of God, as if against his will, those reprobates, when he had not only cut them off from his church, but had also exterminated them from the world and from the human race. But thus do the wicked wax wanton against God under the very cover of his gifts, and especially they do not hesitate to mock him with empty titles and outward signs as the masks of their iniquity. 42. And it came to pass when the congregation... From the fact that Moses and Aaron were protected by the covering of the cloud, we gather how uncontrollable was the rage of the people. For although the glory of God only stood over the tabernacle, so that Moses and Aaron were still exposed to stoning and any other acts of violence, yet it so dazzled the eyes of these wicked men that they could not touch the holy persons. Nor can we doubt but that they betook themselves to the sanctuary, because in the extremity of their danger the only hope that remained to them was in the help of God. When, therefore, they had fled to the sacred asylum, God received them under the shadow of his wings. Thus did he testify that the prayers and hopes of his people are never in vain, but that he succors them whenever they call upon him. For although nowadays he does not appear in a visible abode, still he is nigh unto all those who cast their cares upon him. It might indeed have been the case that the sign of God's glory was seen by none but Moses and Aaron, in order that they might be fully assured that God was near to help them. But since the expression is indefinite, it is probable that God threatened also the frantic multitude, lest they should proceed to any further acts of violence, although the light was presented in vain to them in their blindness. 45. Get you up from among this congregation. I have expounded the meaning of this expression a little above, namely, that as God regards his people with constant and peculiar love— so he defers his vengeance against the wicked until these people are set apart and placed in safety. For he declares that as soon as Moses and Aaron have secured themselves, all the rest shall perish in a moment. 
But incredible was the kindness of both of them, thus humbly to intercede for so ungrateful a people who deserved to die a hundred times over. For, forgetful of their own lives, which they saw to be imperiled, they were ready to make atonement for the guilt so as to rescue from death those abandoned wretches who were plotting their destruction. I do not, however, understand this get-you-up merely with reference to place, for they were already separated, having taken refuge in the tabernacle. But it is just as if God had commanded them to sever themselves from the people, and, quitting them altogether, and casting away all care for the public welfare, to provide for their own private safety. 46. And Moses said to Aaron, The expiation of so great a sin did not indeed depend on the incense offering, nor are we to imagine that God is appeased by the savor of frankincense. But thus was a symbol set before this gross-hearted people, whereby they might be alike aroused to repentance and faith. For, however insensible they might be in their rebellion, yet the dignity of the priesthood was so conspicuous in the censor that they ought to have been awakened by it to reverence. For who would not view his impiety with horror when he is made conscious of having despised and violated that sanctity wherein the divine power displays itself for life or death? The sight of the censor might have justly availed to subdue their hardness of heart, so that at last they might begin to condemn and detest their unrighteous act. The second warning which it gave them was no less profitable, that is, that they might perceive that God was only propitiated towards them by virtue of a mediator. But, in so far as the actual state of things allowed, the visible type directed them to the absent Savior. Since, however, men corrupt and obscure the truth by their fond inventions, his majesty is asserted by the divine institution of sacrifice. Whilst Aaron, the typical priest, stands forth until the true and only and perpetual mediator shall be revealed. The verb kafar properly signifies, as I have said elsewhere, to reconcile God to men through the medium of an expiation, piaculum. But since here it refers to the people, the sense of Moses is rightly expressed by a single word, as one may say, to purge or lustrate from pollution. 48. And he stood between the living and the dead. If you understand that the living were everywhere mingled with the dead, you may conjecture that God's wrath did not so fall upon one part of the camp as to destroy all that came in its way without exception, as had been the case in the other revolt, but that he selected those who had sinned most grievously. But it is probable that Aaron proceeded so far as to leave behind those who still remained uninjured and, in the very place where the destruction had occurred, encountered the wrath of God and arrested its course. Hence it was that both the fervor of his zeal might be the better perceived and his office of appeasing God was more fully confirmed by its actual success. 
For what more evident miracle could be required than when the slaughter, which had both begun to rage suddenly, and then to proceed in a course no less rapid than continuous, was stopped by the arrival of Aaron, exactly as if a hedge had been set up against it? The efficacy of the priesthood in propitiating God is therefore both clearly and briefly set before us. And hence we are taught that though we are so close to the reprobate when they perish, as that their destruction should reach to ourselves, still that we shall be safe from all evil if only Christ intercede for us. 49. Now they that died in the plague... Already three hundred or thereabouts had been destroyed on account of the conspiracy made with Korah. Now a much larger number was added. And this, forsooth, is what the wicked reap from their obstinacy, that God, being more and more provoked, redoubles his punishments. Even as he threatens that, unless those whom he chastises shall repent, he will deal seven times more severely with them. Leviticus 26, verse 18. Wherefore, let us learn, when we are warned by his rebukes, to humble ourselves betimes beneath his mighty hand, since nothing is worse than to kick against the pricks. And let us always bear in mind what the psalm says, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, whose mouth must be held with bit and bridle, because many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Psalm 32, 9 and 10. They rebelliously exclaimed that the people of the Lord were slain when three hundred had perished. They now experience how much better it would have been to be dumb before God and to give glory to his holy severity than, instead of three hundred, to devote to destruction nearly fifty times as many. Let us then remember the admonition of Paul. Let us beware, lest we murmur, lest perchance the destroyer should destroy us. 1 Corinthians 10.10 For nothing is less tolerable in us than that we should frowardly presume to speak evil of God when Scripture so often exhorts us to be silent in His presence. This audio recording was read by Michael Ives. I hope you found it enlightening and edifying. Visit westportexperiment.com for more audio resources and where I write about parish missions, the care of souls, and all things reformed.